0: So tonight, I wanted to pick up really where we left off this morning. Our our format tonight will be kind of similar to last week, if you were here last week. Uh, We've been tweaking our format here and there, doing a couple different things on Sunday night, having a traditional service and having kind of this abbreviated one with the class at the end. And last week was kind of an in-between. Where our lesson is still about 20-25 minutes, but I tried to leave, you know, about 10 minutes in the end uh, for kind of questions and a little bit of discussion, uh, especially considering kind of the weight of the topic. And that's probably about what I'm going to aim for tonight, because I'd really like to finish up kind of what we started talking about this morning. But again, given the the nature of the topic, when talking about what is the church and church membership and things like that, I want to leave... Uh, at least about 10-15 minutes at the end for us to have some discussion on a few topics and also wrap up some loose ends from last week. So all of that to say, uh, if you were not with us this morning, we, we began talking about uh, church membership. And I said if we talk about church membership, we have to start really with what is the church. And as we look at the verses that talk about the church, it becomes very clear uh, that church, the idea of church membership or belonging to the church is very tied to what the church itself is. And so as I said, we're going to pick up kind of right where we uh, left off this morning. If you uh, weren't with us, I encourage you to go back and listen, catch up later, find us on Facebook, find us online, and kind of fill in the gaps. Uh, but we're going to continue answering what is the church. And this morning we mentioned that the church can be identified by three things, by our, our language, and not in the sense of uh, profane versus clean language, but like the, the, the language we talk about when we talk about the church, the terms we use, uh, we can be identified by our source – meaning our source of our doctrine, the source of our teaching, the source of our faith, and that's what we're gonna focus on tonight. And then the third one, um, the third one was our, um, oh, made the fatal flaw of naming your points and then not saying, not remembering my points, would yes, thank you, your purpose. This is, y'all think the slides are usually for you, they're actually just as much for me usually, most of the time. I didn't get them to Jeff tonight, but um, anyway. So this morning we talked about the church being identified by our language, and we talked about what this word church means and how those who belong to Jesus, those who are the called out <coughs> ones of his name, that idea of ecclesia, and <coughs> contrary to popular belief and contrary to how we often talk about it, uh, the church is not the building, it is not a physical location, it's not just an activity or an event. But when the Bible talks about the church of Christ, it is referring to the body of believers who belong to Jesus. And we mentioned that the body of believers are those who deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him, as he says in Matthew 16, 24. And so I want to briefly revisit our main text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 16. I'm going to briefly revisit Matthew 16, and we'll move on. <clears throat> Matthew 16, and verse 18. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So understand this. As we begin to think about what the source of our faith is, what the source of our doctrine is, the source of our teaching is, understand that, that man is not powerful enough, uh, nor does man have the authority to change what Jesus built. He tells us very clearly, he is the one who builds the church. And again, we we talked about this at great length in the morning, that he is is the originator of it. He is the founder of it. He has established it. But the the implications of that, one of the implications of that is that man does not have the power to change what Jesus built. So, So anything Jesus says about how the church operates, what the church should look like, how the church ought to conduct itself, anything we do or come up with has to be subjective to that. And understand that this, this means there are preferences here. This is not a complete, all-encompassing, rigid absolute. There are certainly preferences. But when things come into conflict in terms of what we like or what we would think or what we think we ought to do, and God tells us what we ought to do, God has to have supremacy. You've heard me say this before, that there are things we do out of tradition. And I know that's almost like a, a, a swear word in the Church of Christ. It's like, Oh, we don't do anything. Yeah, we do. It's okay It's okay to acknowledge there are things we do out of tradition as long as we know what the things over here are that we do out of tradition and the things over here that we do that are scriptural. For example, um, I'd say about 15 years ago, I didn't know anybody who had online services or, or the, this, paperless – y'all might have been ahead of your time by the looks of you. guys. Seem like you got it down, but the whole paperless hymnal thing had not taken root yet, and the only very few like city churches that I knew of had anything like that. Why? Because God doesn't say, no, it has to be out of a book or it has to be out of a screen. And in truth, they probably didn't have any songbooks at all, right? And since I didn't bring up online service, I do want to clarify something on that. The instruction from the Bible is clear. If you are able to fellowship, we are called to fellowship. There's the off, the off of line, Hebrews 10.25, right? Not neglecting to meet as some, not forsaking the assembly. Uh, but there's also the example of the church in Acts, at the Acts, Acts chapter 2, at the end of Acts chapter 2, kind of verse 42 through 47. It says they met daily to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, they gathered to break bread, Acts 27. Uh, there was the, the instruction from Corinthians about setting aside from 1 Corinthians 16.2. So we have all these scriptures that talk about that when they were called to meet, they were meeting as often as possible. And so there is certainly the command to at least meet weekly and if we're being super honest about scripture and we look at what it says in Acts 2.42, the, the argument is probably for meeting more, not less, if we're being absolutely honest. So in regards to online services, understand those are not a substitute for meeting and fellowship, but they are for those who are not able to make it. There's, you will not find in the Bible God restricting and saying you, you can't do virtual ministry. In fact, if you read the Bible at the end of Colossians and the end of 1 Thessalonians, Paul makes a comment. He says, have this letter read aloud in the church. The church actually started virtual ministry. When the Colossians met on the first day of the week, there were many times they did not have a minister, they did not have an evangelist, but they said, hey, we have a letter from Paul. We're going to read that. He, he aided himself with the most advanced technology of the time, believe it or not, letter writing, and would minister from r- remote, kind of almost a working, distance working kind of setup to minister as many congregations as possible. And I say all that to say there were churches who preferred not to offer certain things, but then obviously time shifted, times changed. And as long as it was in the confines of how we were commanded to meet and what we were commanded to do, we had some leeway, we had some preference. You've heard the jokes, I'm sure we've all kind of heard the jokes made about service times or order of service, right? There are strong preferences, these are not what we do is scripturally ordained. The order in which we do them and the time of day that we do them is not scripturally ordained. And I'm going to duck so that no one throws things at me. So it's okay to recognize that there are things we do that are preferential or matters of tradition. As long as we know what the things are that are scriptural. And as long as we understand that when what we prefer comes into conflict ...with what is commanded by God, we understand that what is commanded by God takes precedence. And I say that, and I emphasize that from, even from this verse here, because when God, when God commands us on a topic, man cannot come after the fact and change it. I mentioned this morning that when Jesus says he built the church, it means no one can come after him and say they started this church, or they started this church, or they started... This. No, Jesus said he started the church... Well, in the same way, we cannot come after him and say, you know what? Uh, The way you established it was fine and dandy, but I think maybe we should do it this way instead. But do you realize that I I don't really typically like to get into name dropping, so I'll, I'll try to say this as politely and tactfully as I can. But there are religious groups out there that if you ask them why they believe something, they would not open the Bible, but they would have to open a history book. They would have to explain to you, well, in the history of the, the church and in the, this and this era of the Roman Empire, under this leader or this figurehead or this government entity, or under this in the 3rd BC. Or the, no. If Jesus built the church, then our, the source of our teaching on this topic of church has to originate with Jesus. And, and man cannot come after the fact to change what Jesus has established. In the same vein, this is, why, this is why when we talk about what our doctrine or what our teaching is, we have to have a Bible study. And understand, I, I can't, for example, I can't have a Bible study on, on infant baptism, on christening. You know why? It's, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> I can have a history study on that, and I can tell you at what year—about three hundred, or four hundred, or five hundred—certain men said, "Hey, it's acceptable in this conditions," and then it kind of spread, and they said, "Well, what about these?" and, what, and things shifted and evolved and changed. But, but I can't point to you with the Bible and say, "This is why we believe that, or why we practice that." And so we have to understand that our that our teaching, the source of our teaching, has to come from Christ, has to come from God's Word. You'll notice our text also says that that Jesus makes this comment that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Despite what ACDC might tell you, the gates of hell is not an address, it is not a highway you can take to get there. He's actually using an expression to say all of the demonic forces in the world combined could not conquer what Jesus is building here. He's really almost making a hyperbole to say that, like, it's true. Don't misunderstand. He's not exaggerating. He's absolutely true. But he's saying all of the demonic forces could not help to upend what I'm establishing here based on this confession that you have made, Peter. So we certainly could not begin to prevail against or rally against or change or modify the church that Christ has established. Which is really what brings us to number two. As I said, the marker or the identifier or the, the sign that a particular group of people are the church, are the body of Christ, is that the source of their teaching, the source of their faith is Christ. Turn your Bible to Hebrews chapter 2. We'll probably jump around a little bit or reference a few other verses, but we're mostly going to spend the rest of our time, at least in this portion, in he- I'm sorry, not Hebrews 2, Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. If you know anything about Hebrews, you would know Hebrews 11. And if you know anything about numbers, Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11. But Hebrews 11 is the great, what they call the Hall of Faith passage. That that so many figures of the Bible are listed one after the other. It says, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abraham, by faith, Sarah. And and it goes on, and by faith, Moses, by faith, Joseph. And it recounts all these great acts that we know from, from the Old Testament. And the verse, I'm sorry, then chapter 12 begins. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We're going to go on to verse 2 in a minute, but I, I want to pause right there on verse 1. So, we have the, the Hall of Faith passage, the, the listing of all the great menaces by faith and by faith and by faith and by faith. And it's saying, you know about Abraham, you know about Joseph, you know about Moses, you know the great works that they did through God, that the, the great things they accomplished, their faith in God, and the, the evidence that that is of God's faithfulness to his people. And of course, as we read this, we know, we, we kind of have the, the, the benefit of history. The benefit of convenience when it comes to God's word. We know all of those things are recounted in the same book that Hebrews is a part of. So, so we know he's talking about God's word when it lists all those things in Hebrews 11. All those stories are in God's word. And so what verse 1 is saying, since you were surrounded by so many witnesses, you can lay off Sin. And, and I want to clarify, something. that word witnesses, it's not actually saying that, the, that Moses and Abraham in, are lined up in heaven watching you. That's not really the implication it means by the word witnesses. It's saying those individuals are witnesses, but not to us. They're witnesses to God. And so Moses, through his actions, was a witness to God. He, he was evidence of what God did. Abraham, by his own actions, was evidence. Sarah, by having the child at her great age, was evidence of God's faithfulness. And so what it actually is saying is that like because of all this, this eyewitness testimony, if you will, to God's faithfulness, we also should lay aside sin. Now, we're not really going to talk about uh, laying aside sin in our context tonight, but I want us to understand that when this chapter starts, it says, Knowing and understanding all of the evidence you have access to in God's word of God's faithfulness. And I want you to keep like that preamble, if you will, in mind as we read verse 2. Knowing all of that, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, the Hebrews writer is really in the middle of of a segue, and he's going to talk about redemption through Christ and how Christ is not just our Redeemer, but he's the Messiah, and he's the sacrifice for our sins and all of these things. But notice that title that he ascribes to Jesus, the two titles actually, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some translations also say Jesus is the originator. Of our faith, the pioneer of our faith. And then it says uh, the finisher or it says the perfecter. What it's saying is Jesus is the beginning of faith, but he is also the completer of it. He says Jesus is the author. He is the one with whom our faith starts. If you remember, as we were talking about just that, that word church this morning and how Jesus uses it in Matthew 16, we talked about how the church began with Jesus. Well, in the same way, when we say faith, and again, understand, Clarifying our terminology here, when we use faith in this word to say what we believe and what we adhere to, I'm not just saying my I, I have faith that this seatbelt will hold me back if I get in a car accident. That's re- that's really using faith as a synonym for hope. But, but what how the Bible quite often uses faith is not just doctrine, not just teaching, but the the whole concept of the things that you believe. Like we have faith in God. When we say my faith or your faith, we're not just talking about hope, although we know that's a part of it, right? We absolutely believe part of our faith is a hope in the future. But it really says the whole concept of your belief and trust in God and the things He has done for you, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of that. He is the author, He is the originator and the finisher. You know what Jesus calls himself in Revelation? Revelation twenty-two. He says, "I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end." I don't need to have another Greek lesson for us to know Alpha and Omega is the first and last of the Greek Alpha. He's saying, "I am A to Z. I am where it starts and I am where it ends." Jesus did not start something; he could not finish. This also means Jesus does not do collabs. He does not do mixtapes. He does not do feature tracks. He does not say, hey, I, I fleshed out some of this doctrine, but I need you to come in 300 years later and finish it up for me. But again, I, I don't really believe in straw man arguments. I don't just bring these things up to sort of make ourselves look better or just for the sake of putting other people down. But know that there are other doctrines out there that rely on a Jesus and philosophy. Ironically, this is what we've been studying for weeks in Colossians, and it actually still exists today. Though people say, yes, Jesus said this, and yes, God did this hundreds and thousands of years ago, but you know what? You also need this. You need Jesus, but you also need this teacher. You need Jesus, but you also need this particular bishop. You need Jesus, but you also need this 21st century theologian. And we need to understand that anything that comes after Jesus is just way, way too late. Obviously, we have the period of inspiration and how God tells us that his word. I mean, we know from John. John says, Jesus was the word made flesh. So understand, we can talk about the entirety of God's word as synonymous in this same passage. What we can't do is go outside God's word. We can't do that. And many, many people, when you ask them their faith, as I mentioned earlier, and, and I say this, again, not for the sake of just putting other people down. I've had conversations with people where you say, Well, I noticed you guys do this. Why do you do that? And they'll say, Well, based on this doctrine or based on this so and so or based on something that happened. Like, I've had people reference things that happened in my lifetime as evidence for what they believe. I'm like, Okay, that, you got to at least get older than that. <laughs> like, I, I'm a speck of dust. You at least got to get older than me. You can't tell me you have a revelation that's happened since I've been walking on earth. That doesn't, you've at least got to go get older than that. Jesus is the author and the perfector. He is the beginning and the end. In that, same chapter, in that same chapter of Revelation that I referenced in Revelation 22, Jesus says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. From Revelation twenty-two twenty-two 22, towards the very end, we do not modify, we do not add to, we do not take away. And I want to be very clear when I read that last part i saying, adding to and taking away are equally dangerous things. And I, I think it, just the way our culture is headed, the way we are kind of geared as a society, at least right now, we're very cautious if people feel like they're whittling down what God's word says, or they're watering it down, or they're diluting it, right? We're, we're very aware there's a lot of teaching out there that claims God's word is much less restrictive than we know it to be. Am I making, is that resonating? We, 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 I know we use words like conservative or liberal. I really don't like using those from the pulpit. but I'm just going to be honest. But we know there are people who will say God's word is more free or is more loose or is open to more interpretation than we know it to be. But I want to make it very clear that God's word tells us that binding things that God's word does not bind is just as harmful. I know we kind of have proclivity, like we're preconditioned to kind of be scared of going one way. But God's word tells us, no, don't go too far this way either. And so many things, if you look at God, this is kind of an aside, and i want to chase rabbits here. There's so many things God tells us to thread the needle. He says, don't, don't look neither to the right nor to the left, right? And so we need to understand that we cannot add to, we cannot take away from, there is nothing we can do. Because if we are the church, if we are God's people, our faith and our understanding of God it begins in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the source of our faith, of our doctrine, our teaching. John, the Gospel of John, in his opening, again, in his opening kind of paragraph, he says, He was the Word made flesh. He is the instruction for our way of living. He is the source. He also calls him, rather famously, the way, the truth, and the life. Which means no one comes to the Father except through him. We can identify the church that belongs to Christ as those who have him positioned properly at the center of everything they do. Which means that when First Peter, I believe it's 1 Peter 2.13 says, be ready to give an answer. You know, I'm going to retract that because that's not right, I'm quoting the wrong verse. But when Peter tells us, be ready to give an answer, that does not mean I reach for a reference book. Or, or I reach, I'll tell you what, even a good friend of mine, Paul saying. He runs a little publishing company in Pulaski, Tennessee. He makes all sorts of great Christian reference books. One of them is really handy. It's called A Ready Reference uh, for Christians. And it lists like he, he also made one. It's called Traditions of Man versus the Word of God. Those are great things. I like those materials, they're very useful to me. But I should never go to that and say, This is why I believe X, Y, or Z. We should be able to go to God's Word. If we believe it is sufficient, if we believe it is all we need, if we believe that it is truly the words of life, understand that Jesus is the founder and the perfecter of our faith. And if you have knowledge of Jesus that does not come from God's word, I'm very interested to hear that. If you know somebody who is alive, if you know the apostles, if you know the disciples still roaming around under some rocks, if you have received some special divine revelation, I'd be very interested in at least having a conversation about that. But as for me, all of my knowledge of who Jesus is comes from this right here. And so when we talk about Jesus, understand that this is synonymous, really, with understanding who God is through his word. Because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's also, it's also why to kind of guard us against the mother of false teaching. It's also why there are those out there who will poke holes in who Jesus is. I don't know if Jesus really existed. We're not really sure if in Je- As an aside, because it's kind of like a, a passion of mine in the academic world, there's amazing, historical, strong evidence that Jesus existed and it's really, really cool. Great discussion. Let's have coffee sometime outside the church buildings. It's, it digs into things that are outside the Bible as so I'm just saying there's evidence. It's awesome. But, even if there wasn't, God tells us he sent his son and our faith is based on that fact. It has to be, it has to be. And that is why, as I said, there are forces of the world who will poke holes in Jesus because if they can poke holes in Jesus, our whole, our whole framework falls apart. We referenced that concept this morning of the idea of the perfect cornerstone. I don't know a lot about building, but I played Jenga. And if you rip out the cornerstone, you're gonna have some problems when I was in engineering they would call that a a, a matter of structural integrity (laughs) our faith has to be based on Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith in accordance with God's word to to recognize Jesus as the center of our life as the center of our faith means making a commitment to to, to change from our ways or to commit to a way of living that is in accordance with his word to repent from where we've been to be baptized into uh, baptized into his death and resurrected and walking in newness of life these are scriptures we've read many times. They're concepts we've talked about every week since I've been here. But know that there is always an opportunity. There is always an opportunity for you to make that change or for you to get your life back on track. If you have any need, why don't you come at this time? We'll always stand and we'll always sing. Okay. So, um, I wanted to clarify a couple different things. I Microphone. Uh, Better? Also, I'll, I'll clarify something Jeff said, because I think he probably just misspoke. I would not consider the questions and answers part of our worship service. I, I enjoy this, but I would not consider this worship. Um, if anything, I find it edifying and maybe almost, well, you know, ask him about that afterwards. Put a pin in that because this is the stuff I want to get into here. Um, I want to actually kind of start totally shifting gears Um, even though I know we're totally going one direction and and clarify something that was brought up last Sunday because we brought up something in our discussion that never really got to circle back to an address specifically as it relates to giving. So uh, turn with me to Deuteronomy 26, please. We'll come back to Matthew and Hebrews and church and all that good stuff. Um, but, But I want to address something because it was brought up and I think it's a really important question. And it was the idea of uh, giving versus offering in, in terms of like like when I give to people or I give to ministries or I give to orphanages or I give to people in need versus the offering that I set aside to God. And, and just off the top, does that distinction make sense? Um, and hopefully we have at least at some point heard those things distinguished. Um, and, and I think there can be some misunderstanding really on this concept, and that's why I wanted to address it. Um, so from Deuteronomy chapter 6, We'll read a few verses here. We'll give the whole context of this again. Deuteronomy 26, starting right from the top. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance and have taken possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit in the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God has given you, and you shall put it in a basket." And you shall go to the place that your Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell there. And so when we were reading this uh, last week, we, we also kind of talked about verses 4 through 8. We, I don't think we really read all of it, but we referenced some of the, the reasoning for that and how they went before the priests And they, they they actually vocalized in verse 5 what God had done for them, and that was part of their offering to God. Now... This is not the same as how we are called to help those who are in need or, or just to be giving generous, kind-hearted people in a general sense. When we take something and we dedicate it to God, we, we do not get to take that as individuals. When we take something and we give it to God, that is part of our offering, when we give to others that we see are as need, or we're generous outside of that, that is not a substitute for our offering to God. And, and again, I know this is kind of a tricky wicket, talking about giving, and it gets into numbers, and it's like, well, why are we really talking about this? I promise I don't have ulterior motives. My reasoning is, is firmly planted in this scripture right here. And I know a lot of people, truthfully, if I'm being honest, it's a refrain that is commonly echoed of people who don't wanna to belong to a church. Some of those people who are like, well, the church is not for me crowd. And one of the things they say, well, God calls us to give. I give freely to other people. That's great. You should definitely do that. Absolutely be generous people. You, we could look through almost every single one of Paul's letters that calls you to either be generous or to be kind-hearted. <clears throat> Absolutely look to the needs of others. Put others before yourself first and see to it that you esteem others as high, more highly than yourself. I mean, we could, we could quote those scriptures all day long. But understand that when we commit to God our first fruits that is not the same thing that is really not the same thing and, and one of those is not a substitute for another and we we know that specifically because he says like he doesn't just say you guys you guys collect it all up and 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 then you guys vote on where it should go and I understand I'm kind of blending two concepts from the church and the old law and I'm probably not giving this discussion even enough time here, but I wanted to clarify one question and that was you know When I give to other people, is that the same thing as the offering to God? Really, the answer is no. And hopefully that kind of makes sense because that was brought up last week. And that is kind of a misunderstanding. When we give something to God, it's God's. And really, this is in the same vein. If I've heard people in the church, I've been a part of congregations that do this. That's the only reason I'm saying it. Again, I'm not trying to belittle anybody. They say, well, if the church is going to do X, Y, or Z, I'm not giving them my money. What? I hope you. I hope at least those of us here understand that, like, if Marty is counting it, or if Joe is counting it, or Marvin, or Joe is counting it, like that doesn't go to Jeff. I don't just put that in my pocket and leave. Like, that is what the church decides to do with the money. That is not. That kind of goes back to like I don't think you really understand what being committed to a church and not a person and a leadership. Like I think there's some. This org chart needs some some refining. There's kind of this really common business corporate-speak philosophy that any time there's typically a problem or an inefficiency, it has to do with a misunderstanding of the organization, right? Who do I report to? Who reports to me? What am I responsible for? What, what's in my job description? What's in the scope of you know, all of those terms? A lot of our misunderstandings of how these concepts in the church work come from misunderstanding the organization of the church, and at some point in kind of our study on this concept we will talk about church organization it'll probably be on a sunday night like this because we're going to dig into it and i want to kind of address some misconceptions on church organization when it relates to ministers and elders and things like that as well but for the same reason that we when you don't give you're not giving to that preacher you're not giving to that you're not even giving to that eldership it's why if someone is visiting with us, we say, hey, no, if you're a part of another church, you give to that church. Like we, just because we pass the plates, the plates back there, like if you walk by it, don't expect it. Like that's just automatically for you. I've had, had some conversations with some visitors like that actually recently. They're like, well, what do we do? I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like I, I love your energy. <laughs> I love your eagerness. Let's talk about church membership. Absolutely. But like. That, that's not for just that's not a turnstile for everybody who walks past It's just gotta give that's for those who are members who are committed to the work here And if you were a member of the body of Christ, you're commit you give to God you don't In this way, and I, I don't mean to necessarily elevate our status, but in this way We like We view the church as an extension as a spiritual kingdom. We've been talking about this forever, right? Which one of us in accordance with kind of that passage we read in Job, would go to God and say, You know, God, I was good to write a $60 check, but I really didn't like how this got used last year, so I'm thinking about writing a $40 check instead. In like, do we to go back and read Job where he says, I'm sorry, were you, <laughs> were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? And so again, I... I hope I'm not running people the wrong way, I hope I'm not upset anybody, but it's, it's a distinction that I, I feel like needs to be made because I think it's sometimes it can come from a misunderstanding of uh, how the church is kind of organized. Um, and I say, that like to say, if, if there are a problem with how the church is spending money, I'm not saying, nope, you can't say anything about it. I absolutely voice those concerns. Truth be told, in our current state of mind, you would, I, this is where I get to go back and say, hey, this is why we should have elders, um, politely and tactfully. If we have concerns with money, voice the concerns, but you don't, I don't think you really say, you know what, I'm gonna give if. If we stick in the text and we look at verse two, if someone wants to show me where God says, if you're happy with everything I'm doing for you, then say this, then go put your gift in the basket. I think what he says, go to the basket, and in verse five he says, you make the response of all the things I know I've already done for you. And sort of then put conditions on it is really, there's probably a misunderstanding of blessings there too. Um, couple minutes, does that make sense? Questions about just that, and then we'll wrap up and we'll move on to the whole church thing.
1: I got a, I got a question on this. Sure. You know, some of the Jews did not inherit anything, but the rest of them, they were told to give mm-hmm. to those people. Was that tithing? Mm-hmm. Or Are you talking given about to God given to that... the, the Levites? That was a commandment of God for them, the ones that did inherit, to give to those that did not inherit. Was that given to God or just?
0: I'm shooting from the hip because I don't know exactly which time you're talking about. Because there's two different instances. There's at least like the Levites where he says some get set aside for the Levites because they perform the priestly duties and they can't work because they're supposed to be clean. So that is probably I would almost say. Analogous to what Paul says, you know, don't tread the oxen while it's muzzling the grain. If people are working for the church, you're allowed to compensate them for their work for the church if their work keeps them from like physically working and supporting themselves. Um, And and then there's also when they cross the Jordan, there's like the tribes that have moved, like you said, that don't have land. He says, give to them. That to me is more mirroring like the brotherly love and giving we should like how the family looks out for each other, sort of thing. If I understand your
1: question correctly. The tithing is not always about money. Right, yeah. Tithing was about material things, giving to other people and feeding them. Yeah, I mean, if you look at first fruits, it's literally what it means, yeah, absolutely. Church has never been commanded to tithe, even though we're taught by the world sometimes. We're supposed to tithe. Well,
0: and and then we get into which of the commands from, (laughs) get kind of filtered through, and which commands does he say yes, you know, most commands, Jesus says, this is what the commandment said, but I'm actually calling you to this much higher standard. That's a discussion that I definitely don't have time to get into in five minutes, but it's a worthy one. I'll i got one. another question, oh, and okay.
1: then somebody else might say, listen, <laughs> if I had a lot of money, I don't, <laughs> but if I had a lot of money, and I knew that a lot of people out there are hungry, should I bring it to the church oh, to right, give absolutely. God the glory and give it to them, and then do I make sure that the church then gives it to those people, or I just take it direct to them? You just don't worry about That them. is, <coughs> I, well. We don't worry more often to get to others. We give yeah. Them yeah.
0: Yeah. I would say to even begin to answer that question would we'll require a very lengthy study on, like, everything the Bible says about economics because I think if we really think about it, like, some of these commands are written to people who have nothing compared to life. And to even begin to say, like, what you're, what you're almost asking is, like, in light of Scripture, how much money is, a two, is an unethical amount of money? And, like, that's not even a conversation we could have in five months, let alone five minutes. <laughs> But it's it's a worthy question to at least be asking ourselves, though. I'll say that like it's definitely something to think about. Um, any, any other questions on just the distinction between guy, I guess maybe donating and like the offering that is set aside for God? Okay, cool. Let's flip over to Matthew, and we'll spend about five minutes talking about the church in Matthew. Just as a real quick show of hands, who had even heard the term ecclesia before, besides Van? He had.
1: Or
0: hadn't. had. Oh good, okay, cool. So we, we've got a few people who just hopefully <laughs> who has heard the, the church is the building, not the people lesson before?
1: You, you mean the church backwards. is the people, though? Did I say backwards? backwards?
0: Yes. Yeah. Who has heard the church is not a building, it's the people lesson before? I was kinda of expecting like 110% on that one. So okay, so some people, so maybe some people learn something new. I not very
1: on what you're asking. I apologize
0: have you heard the lesson just that the scripture tells us that when we say the word church, we are talking about the people who worship. We are not talking about a physical building. Yes. Okay. I was I, I, I joked like I, I always joke with people that like if I made like a top five lessons I've heard in my entire life growing up in the church, like that would be pretty high up there. I'm not saying they're Georgia, but like they're on the top they're on the board if we were playing Family Feud. Um so, so I, and I say all that to say that like I know hearing those kinds of lessons can get tiresome, but as I mentioned earlier, I think so many of our problems of understanding what commitment to the church looks like, what church organization looks like, stem from a misunderstanding of basic principles. So even if we've heard them a thousand times before, I feel like it's very worthy to revisit them and just sort of hone our understanding in that category. Since we do have just a few minutes, were there any like confusing points, questions about things we talked about this morning, things that need clarification. Oh. I, was, I just looked this way, because I saw a couple people already looked like they had something to this- say. Uh, no
1: confusion or anything. Oh, okay. It just made me very, very aware of how I worked. Yeah. Very, I mean, I had not thought of, really, to that degree before, that I need to make sure I say what I mean to say. Yeah. It.
0: And, and I'll be honest, so when I was growing up, my, my grandmother was like the, I, I don't know, picture of every grandmother in of the Church of Christ just about truthfully. but You know, knew the Bible really well, very stalwart, grew up in the church, and every time I said it, she would correct me. To, she's going like to find me out this later. To this day, if I say, like, dang from the pulpit, she's like.
1: <laughs>
0: I'm like, you're right, I, I, you're right, I, I didn't need to say that, I need to be careful. <laughs> I wasn't gonna name her. <laughs> She's on Facebook, probably making a comment right now. But anyway, I, I bring her up to it because she would always correct me on that, and I'd be like, "It doesn't matter. Like, why are you? Why are we doing this conversation?" Mm-hmm. Yes, I need to go forty-five. I shouldn't go forty-seven. The forty-five, I should go forty-five and forty-five. Okay, why? What? But I'll tell you, as I got into the world and I talked to people and I had conversations with people from other backgrounds, other uh, religious a- adherings. I understood so many of our misunderstandings come from misunderstanding of these really basic, simple, foundational concepts. And, like, it it sounds so petty almost to correct somebody on it, but I promise you most people in the world, and maybe there's those of us who say, like, okay, I misspoke, but we know what I meant. you know, And we can kind of do that. But I promise you most people outside these walls don't understand really what the Bible means when it says the church. And I can say that because I've talked to a lot of them, and they don't. Um so yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. I know it I know it feels silly, but it, it, Why would
1: you still say it if I'm going to church. No, you're not. You're yeah. The church, you're not. Yeah. I, 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 I,
0: there, there's a little rural town in North Alabama and they're right off the highway it says the Church of Christ meets here. And I'm like, man, that's clever. Because that'll get a lot of people asking questions. And it does kind of just there's little things like that. And I'm not saying we gotta get a new sign or anything. I'm just saying there's it, it can kind of tweak our mindset just nudge you a little bit out of the way we used to think about things.
1: A lot of the older uh, brethren that's been Watch within our, our <laughs> no 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 not where I was going uh, uh, like Wendell Winkler and and you know names mm-hmm. that we recognize you know they didn't they they didn't even say church building they'd say meeting houses to to just totally yeah
0: divest themselves of that term in. I'm not going to be able to, get to address this. Some of you have asked me on translations before and why do I knock the King James? The, the, the two second answer on that King James was Anglican. Anglicans believed in one universal church that was united with the government. So when they translated the Bible into English, and I, I made it sound like it was a mistake this morning, it was not a mistake, it was an intentional decision. So that when people who were reading the Bible for the first time, when they saw in their Bible, in their common language, the word church, they said, oh, he's talking about the church the government wants us to follow. It was an intentional decision to mislead people about what the word of god said so i'm so all of you should go home and burn the king james bible no I'm, that's not what i'm saying but when i make kind of if i'm a little edgy about it or if i kind of make jibes here and there about it unfortunately there was another bible at the time that translated this word congregation that did not get nearly as popular and, and it kind of fell off and so everybody went to church and i kind of feel like in the 400 years since, there's probably a lot of misunderstandings in the word church that have stemmed from that decision. Um, so I don't know, food for thought, I guess. Um, I think I'm kind of at time. So I'll, last comments, thoughts, questions, concerns. Um, that's also like the- So that, that is something that we are going – in the next few weeks we are going to talk about is, is – and why do we – much like church building, I think we'll see that probably stems from people who view the preacher as a lot higher than they should because they're typically in the role of what we would typically give to an elder even though they're not qualified. So anyway, I'll close in a word of prayer. Uh, thank you, guys, and uh, hopefully that was helpful. Let's pray. The church was
1: established here in the
0: old Good, Good. Yes, good correction.